Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. I am so pleased to have in the audience today with us Mr. Joshua E. Lewis. Joshua is one of the bright, shining stars here in South Orange at Seton Hall University. Joshua, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, um, you just got your master's, right? Yes, sir. I'm now, actually finishing in uh, just about two weeks. I see. Here's a nice young man using yes, sir. He keeps calling me Mr. Gunter. I keep telling him to call me Darrell. Joshua, let's talk about your background. Where did you grow up? Originally 10 minutes from Delaware in a little town called Salem, New Jersey. When you tell folks uh, where Salem is that, that live up here, they kind of treat me like I'm from another world because a lot of folks don't uh, have the working knowledge that the turnpike does go past exit four. That's right. That's right. You know, I am familiar with Salem simply because I'm from Atlantic City, New Jersey. Nice. I mean, we used to see Salem. It was out there. It's like a lot of farms and whatnot. Too much. Too much? <laughs> Too much. <laughs> well, you know, New Jersey is the green state, so. Yes, it is. Yeah. So tell us about your, uh, your, your you know, your, your growing up in Salem. Uh, what did you do? What did you do in high school? Um, in high school, I spent a lot of my time in athletics. Mm -hmm. My main sport is basketball. 2002, I uh, went to Lindenwald High School. 2003, I actually returned back to Salem to graduate from mm -hmm. that school. And did you play a varsity basketball? Yes, sir. Three years. And uh, what, where did you do your undergraduate work? I did it right here at Seton Hall University. Okay. And what was your major? Psychology, minoring, and marketing. Okay. And um, getting back to high school, sure. outside of basketball, were you involved in any type of activities? There were various leadership? leadership opportunities that were available to me. I spent a lot of time uh, doing a lot of reading. A lot, of, a lot of what I do is, is reading and reflecting. You don't know in life where you're going until you know where you came from. Right. And what were some of those leadership activities that you participated I in spent a lot of time in FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America. Mm -hmm. Again, I have to pay a lot of homage to the folks that kind of blazed the trail that I wanted to follow over the course of my life. Mm -hmm. And in the, at the tender age of 16 and 17, I identify with folks that have already done what it is that I want to who, do. Who are they? I'm curious. Uh, my assistant vice principal and my uh -huh. vice principal. And their name? Oh, Jesus. Now, you, now you're too young to have amnesia. Now, see, I'm past 50, so <laughs> I, could, I could claim senior citizen, but... Uh, um, I think Tron Cone was my assistant vice principal. Mm -hmm. It changed three times for me in high school. I do apologize. It's, oh, right, right. With the, uh, the rapid changes. Right. And um, what type of impression did they make on you? How did they motivate you? to become the man that you are today? By way of challenging me, a lot of times folks make the assumption that just because they have had different experiences that they can't relate or learn from folks that may or may not have had those experiences, but just the, uh, the teacher in them kind of led me to want to know more. Mm -hmm. Do you stay in touch with them? Honestly, I should do a better job of that, but mm -hmm. on this level, it's, not, um, it's, it's appropriate, but it's just not really fitting for my lifestyle now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's interesting when you say it's not fitting for your lifestyle now to keep in touch with a mentor. I'm I'm curious now. Now we're 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 going we're going to dive into some to some areas here. Not a problem. Not a problem. I say it's not because leadership is all about having good mentors and Absolutely. being a good mentor as well. Absolutely. Um, the reason I said it's not fitting for my lifestyle now is because now I kind of want to know more, and I don't think I know everything there is to offer from those folks, but what they were in charge of teaching me, I feel like they've taught me already. So Right. But it's always good to let them know that they had a positive influence Absolutely. on you. Absolutely. I mean, those are, the I think, some of the unsung heroes who watch the, the students come through the high school system, and quite frankly, 
they don't know if they're making a difference or not until they hear back from you to say, hey, look at me now. I got my BA, I got my master's, sure. and, and I stood on your shoulders. Sure. I, um, in, the few, in a few short years that I was there, I did learn a lot, but I would have liked to have connected with them more, but I was faced with a lot of uh, adaptive situations, if you will. Adaptive situations. I yes. mean, we'll, we'll jump into adaptive situations a little bit later. Okay. But <clears throat> what, what was the main reason why you came to see, here to Seton Hall? Honestly, again, paying homage to those folks that have blazed trails before me. My grandmother was not formally educated. And in high school, I was uh, fortunate enough to graduate with a 3.9 GPA. So I could pretty much write my ticket to a few colleges on the local circuit. And she wanted me to stay very close to home, but still go after pr the prestige that Seton Hall offered. Mm -hmm. 3.9. That is 3 .9. very, very impressive. And um, you majored in what here at Seton Hall? Psychology. Psychology. Yes, sir. What happened to the business? Nothing happened to it. I uh, I love it, but I was interested in finding out why it is people do what they do. The motivation, motivating forces behind, you know, buying and doing business. Right. You know, and that, that is so important. Behind any business deals, always what are the key motivations of the individual who's doing the deal? Sure. And if you can understand that, then sometimes you can understand why. Some deals go right and some deals go wrong. Absolutely. And uh, here at Seton Hall, you lived here on campus. Yes, sir. And what were you involved in? Undergrad, I spent a lot of time around one of my uh, former supervisors who's no longer with the university. I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to mention his name, but I feel like once he hears this, he will know who he is. Okay. He taught okay. me um, beyond the ropes okay. here at Seton Hall University. Right. He kind of took me in and mentored right. me. He may or may not have been a, a resident hall director of Xavier Hall up until just about two and a half years ago Okay, for our listeners. Um, he's, he's shown me pretty much everything that the college had to offer outside of the academic classroom. Right, right. You know, every academic institution has so much more to offer than the classroom. Unfortunately, as undergraduates, we're caught up into the undergraduate experience. Sure. And it's not until after you leave here and you realize just how much resources are available here to you. Sure. And um, you were a leader here on campus. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, every summer that I lived on campus, I worked in Xavier Hall and having various positions there from an office assistant, desk assistant, and actually working out of his office primarily, I was exposed to the, uh, the conferences that we have right. that not many folks know about because a lot of students go home for the summers. Right. I was exposed to the incoming freshmen and the preparation that happens. Um, right. Our facilities engineering staff needs a lot of credit. They flip rooms pretty much weekly. And, it, you know, presentation and image is everything. They're everything. So I'd like to send a little kudos to those folks for... Uh, the, the unsung heroes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I was a student here at Seton Hall as well. Sure. And I lived on campus. And uh, I can certainly appreciate uh, the folks who were uh, running the infrastructure. But um, let's talk about what is it that you say you like to read? So what, what, what are some of the key things that you, you like to read on a regular basis? My favorite book is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Let's talk about that. Sure, sure. I have not heard about that book. I've read a lot of books, but The Power of Now. The Power of Now. That's uh, one of my favorite books because it teaches you how to capitalize on any opportunity when it presents itself. Not that this book gives you, you know, situational intelligence over the next person who reads it, but it does teach you the value of uh, capitalizing on every moment, regardless of, you know, the, the business realm, the personal realm. It, it's really relative to your life. 
So if you see an opportunity, how to maximize that opportunity? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and when was that published? Um, again, I know that we're going to be quoted um, because we're on the <laughs> air, but I'm, I want to say 2004, 2005. Sure. Okay. The power of now. Has that author written other books? Yes. Yes. I have not written, I have not read any other mm -hmm. works that the author has written, mm -hmm. but The Power of Now is kind of, it, it was my Bible. It was introduced right. to me by a good friend, um, Peter Economy, who okay. used to go to Seton Hall. Mm -hmm. And once he introduced me to it, I, it became my favorite book. Wow. What are some of the, what are the three key things that you, you got from the book? If you could put it in three key things. Um, I can definitely start with one, which is uh, actually breathing yourself through a situation. A lot of folks when faced with an adverse situation tend to get tensed. Um, their heart rate increases drastically, sweating, if you will, and just breathing your way through a situation kind of calms you down. That would be the first thing. The second thing is to realize that communication is an inf informational exchange between two parties, not one party just kind of dominating the situation. And lastly is not to count yourself out. A lot of folks would take the, um, take the leap to say that this book is a self-help book. I don't think that it's that. I feel like it's more of, a, of the knowledge of seizing an opportunity. I, don't, I wouldn't call it a self-help book. Okay. Um, now, you matriculated at Seton Hall, got your, um, your bachelor's in four years? Yes. Th that's outstanding. Typically today, <laughs> it takes folks five, six years. Yes. And you did that in four. Yes, and um, that was in psychology? Yes, sir. And uh, what did you do after that? Uh, immediately thereafter, I was offered uh, an administrative position with the university for the work that I did undergraduate. Um, accepted it. I now manage 30 to 40 students in the university center finished my master's here. I'm done in two weeks, just waiting upon graduation. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate it. And um, what's next? What's next, honestly, is to seize the opportunity when it presents itself, but I'm very comfortable where I am now. I'm very comfortable being a student advocate. I'm very comfortable being a mentor, and I'm very comfortable being a change agent. You know, um, you've said a, a few things here. You said student advocate. Sure. Mentor and, sure. and, 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 and those, those are great, great attributes. Um, and it requires a lot of self sacrifice. Absolutely. Um, what, what do you enjoy about being a leader? Honestly, I have a laundry list of things I enjoy about being a leader, but the most important thing about being a leader for me is being a servant leader. Before a leader is, can be renowned, can be followed, can be discussed, I feel like he or she really needs to answer the task of being a servant. If you don't have an idea of the, the publics that, and the stakeholders that you're serving, you kind of lose all, all credibility. You know, this past week, my daughter, Bailey, she's 13, she's going to go to Europe this summer with an organization called People to People. And they, they get together once, every, uh, once a month, every Saturday. And in this past week, they had four guests come in, four sure. adult guests to talk about their jobs and talk about their leader. And, and one of the key things that the gentleman who's the superintendent at, at, of the union school system, he talked about being a servant. And sometimes folks misunderstand what being a leader is all about. Sure. Now, being a servant doesn't mean that you're going to be a, a doormat, right. but it means that you're there to serve and serve with respect. You're absolutely right. How do you deal with students who are not as mature as you, that you see have potential, um, but they're doing some things that are just not cool? Thank you for asking me. That's a, that's a great question, a great lead-in. The way that I deal with students 
who you've, you've described is the same way that I would deal with a difficult customer. First and foremost, I need to identify a need. And identifying a need, I can then articulate to you a plan as to how you and I both will benefit from following that plan. And then thirdly, and, and I guess my favorite part of the entire process is that student kind of connects with the reason and the, the, the rationale behind laying out a plan for improvement. And now, I'm sure there's been occasions where um, those three steps sound very nice. Sure. But what happens when they don't work? What, 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 what's plan B? Plan B is smile. <laughs> plan B is always smile. And a lot of folks make the misconception that smiling is ridiculously hard as comparing to just walking away from the situation. I don't feel like walking away from any situation is the, the first and initial best option. I feel like smiling and attempting to, attempting to diffuse the situation is necessary. And you're absolutely right. There are some situations that regardless of how much I smile and how servant leader I am, they're just going to be difficult. But the good news is that's just a minority of the time. Mm -hmm. A majority of the time, difficult questions and customers and any constituent that I deal with they find more that the experience with me is, is a lot easier once it is that they kind of just relax a little bit. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt to smile. It doesn't hurt to, it doesn't hurt to relax. And a lot of people lose sight of that. Have you had any situations that have gotten out of control? <sighs> Directly, no. But indirectly, yes. And I say indirectly. Tell, tell us about that experience and, and uh, how you managed your way out of it. Well, directly, no, because administrators and constituents typically find refuge in talking to other administrators. But when it is that they're talking to students, they don't have the same level of respect, I find. So indirectly, yes. And indirectly, I just urge my students to, if you feel that a situation is breaching your ability to remain professional, please consult me. I can definitely do a lot speaking to Mr. Gunter personally saying, sir, this is what we can do, this is the accommodation we can make, and this is how we plan to work with you, opposed to having us send a correspondence after the fact. I, I don't like doing work after the fact. And um, the, the result is normally success? Absolutely, absolutely. A lot of folks attribute my success to my style, but my style can largely be wrapped around a customer. Customers and stakeholders need to understand what it is that is important to them and how it is that you're going to work to match what is important to them. Everybody needs to know the, the one critical question. What's in it for me? If I'm a stakeholder, if I'm a constituent, if I'm a customer, if I'm a student, if I'm any one of the publics that could visit my building, what's important to me? What's in it for me? So I try to answer that question before each and every interaction. Sometimes I'm successful, sometimes unsuccessful. And uh, how would you define leadership? Above the ability to serve is the ability to guide and mold. I think of the folks that I look up to. You, so I have some icons that I know personally. I consider my grandmother to be iconic. Um, she kind of laid the, framework, the, the, the foundational framework for what I compare myself to daily. Um, I'm blessed to have her. She's 86 years old. God bless her, yeah. Every morning she gets out of bed, she follows a, a very strict protocol. That protocol typically involves um, watching news and eating Cheerios and calling me and reminding me of how much of life I don't know. However, if she can get out of bed in the morning, so can I. There are days that I felt sick. There are days that I, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to work. Regardless, there are three things I have to follow. Get up, dress up, and show up. 
and the rest will work itself out. You know, it's interesting you used to say show up because someone said showing up is uh, more than half the battles won. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that anymore. I couldn't agree with it anymore. A lot of folks are intimidated by a situation and they perceive the circumstance to be overwhelming, but just showing up means a lot. It makes a statement. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And uh, what makes you tick? What makes you go? You mean tick positively or? Positively. Okay. And <laughs> no, not what ticks you off. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, every time I've met, when I first met you, I sure. met you when, um, I think I, I, I was just, I was, I was, matter of fact, I was promoting the, the class I teach up here. Absolutely. And uh, you're in the students. And I said, you know what, I got to have you on my program. Absolutely. So I'm happy you reached out to me. And it, you've Absolutely. always had a very positive demeanor. And when you see that in a young man, sure. you, you really just want to reach out and, and say, well, hey, what can I do to help you? Sure. Because we need uh, folks like yourself who are positive and doing the right thing. So what, what makes you tick? Um, honestly, we all have financial obligations. That's why we all work. But aside from that, I'm paid. It's, it's an invaluable experience for me doing what it is that I do now. Like I said, I, I manage 40 students in the university center, and each and every week we have staff meetings. Each and every week I have 40 reasons of why I'm reminded of why I do this. Student affairs to me is a perfect op opportunity for me to reach back and grab the next me. And I feel like I've done that. Regardless of the gender of the student, there is a lot of ability to teach with our undergraduate students here. That ability to teach and see your teachings implemented, it's invaluable. There is no experience like it. There's no experience like it. I would compare it to a roller coaster, but there is no, there's no downside to this. It's, it's been a one fun ride since I began, and I'm just comfortable doing it. So to answer your question, what makes me tick? My students. And so I'm, I'm very curious, and, and maybe in uh, next week's interview, we'll, we'll dive into this subject a lot deeper. But sure. I'm really curious as to what's in, what's in your future. Okay. Me too. I, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very curious in regards to, you know, what are you going to do next? Sure. Because at the age of 24, you've achieved your master's. Sure. You, you have your bachelor's. Sure. And, um, you know, you look like a, you're about 19, so, <laughs> so you got great health. <laughs> That's, uh, I think that's the youth of, of my occupation, to do what I do and mm -hmm. to have fun connecting dots all day. A lot of folks ask me, well, what does a coordinator of operations do? The good news is um, I know because I've, I've been doing it, but it's just connecting dots, identifying a need and matching that need with a resource. Now let's talk about the dark side of leadership. And there is sure. a dark side of leadership. Those sure. are leaders who are not the positive ones. Absolutely. Um, what are some of the, the key attributes that you see mm -hmm. of a poor leader? And, and, and also, share with our audience why one should avoid those, those tactics. Um, a key characteristics I see among poor leaders, first and foremost, let me just preface this, leaders typically are likable. They generate enough likability, if we can quote unquote that, for folks to follow their path. Just because they're the boss. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> poor characteristics of leadership, I feel there's one critical thing that, that definitely leads to a downward spiral, which is complexity. If I'm following you on anything and I don't know where it is that we're going, I can't relate to the trajectory that you're setting. If I can't relate, I don't profess to be a rocket scientist or anything, but if I can't relate to it, there's no reason for me to believe the next person can. So I think that the critical error is, is making things far too complex. 
I, I, I hate to use the old acronym that I'm sure all of our listeners are familiar with, which is keep it simple, stupid. The simple, the, the more simpler the message, I feel like it, it definitely reaches more of an audience. And what's another characteristic? Of a poor leader? Besides complexity? Apathy. Because somewhere in our listening audience, there's sure. someone who is struggling as a leader who sure. wants to be better. Sure. But because of Jahari's window, they don't see what they do is wrong. So apathy. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't give you a, a situation where I felt apathetic toward any of my staff members because I know at the end of the day, the uh, the sum of the parts is always, always going to amount to more than the leader. So apathy, not connecting with those that you're in charge of leading and not caring to connect. As people, you know, not to get too psychological, but as humans, we need to conceptualize things. That ability to conceptualize things is like across humans in general. Identifying with our need to relate and to be liked and to be spoken to and to be respected would make those folks in our audience that are struggling with their individual leadership roles actually connect with their audience. See, now I'm going to go Maslow on you now. Please. You know, let's talk about Maslow. Oh, boy. You know, um, Maslow has what those, the, the pyramid of, of, of hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that poor leaders suffer from a poor uh, sense of, of, of uh, self? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of the leaders that I, 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 I would feel remiss if I did not mention this. I feel like all of our listeners are leaders. You're leaders in your personal relationships. You're leaders in your academic relationships. You're leaders in your everyday lives. A leader does not necessarily have to be the person that's in charge of making the executive decision because we all make decisions. We all are leaders in our respective lives. But somewhere in our leadership style, there is something that's lacking. And when there's any type of lack, there's definitely, in my opinion, going to be an overcompensation. So because it is that the Napoleon complex is a great example. Because it is that I'm suffering one thing, I'm going to be so blatant and flagrant about another thing. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Joshua E. Lewis. He's the coordinator of the University Center Operations at Seton Hall, and he manages over 40 students, and he's about to graduate with his master's. And uh, we're talking about leadership, and we're talking about uh, some leaders who have some poor characteristics. And um, you ever heard the phrase, the, when, when, when the situation is not going well, instead of the leader coming up with a new innovative idea, it's almost like the beatings will continue until morale improves. Have you ever witnessed that? In my personal leadership, no. No, no. but I'm saying, but in just have you ever seen it? Yes, occur? yes, yes. I've seen leaders kind of diffuse the responsibility to step in and make a decision and stand by that decision. Sometimes being a leader is not making the popular decision. What's always right will not be popular, and what's always popular will not be right. But being a leader is the ability to differentiate between those two and decide which way to move forward and what is best going to suit your audience. And then what happens in a tough situation where you've made a call? Sure. And based on the information that you had? Sure. It was the best information that you could receive at that time. Sure. You made the best decision, but the decision turned out wrong. How do you deal with that? You stand by it. You stand by it. You apologize to your stakeholders for making that decision, but you instruct them that you did what you saw fit best for that time. And you come up with a plan for how you're going to fix it. 
the best some of the best leaders can admit their faults when things haven't gone according to plan and after it is that they've articulated why that has been the case they've always instituted a plan for how we're going to right the ship you know, I have a, a few quotes here from a few people from your sure. LinkedIn site, which is publicly available information, so I, <laughs> I could talk about that. Um, a professor at Seton Hall University, uh, Pat Kushan, yes, who taught uh, who taught you at Seton Hall. She says here, Joshua is a dedicated professional whose skills and talents enable his success. His commitment to excellence is evidence in the quality of his work and the high standards he sets for himself in the workplace. He has my strong recommendation. How did Pat get to know you to say those wonderful things about you? I have to go on record and say I love Dr. Kushan. Dr. Kushan is incredible. She first taught me employer relations, which was my very first class in my master's degree. In employer relations, I was definitely educated to the right, the wrong, and the gray area. The gray area of leadership for me in her class and what I'm able to identify is communicating with an employee to go a step further than just an observation of an occurrence. I'll be more specific. What I run into a lot in the uh, university center is students coming maybe 15, 20 minutes late to work. At a corporation, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that was me slicing my throat. However, in student affairs, we need to be tolerant of why that student may or may not have been 15 or 20 minutes late to work. Now, I'm not fostering bad practices. Enabling? (laughs) I don't want to enable a student to say, ah, my boss doesn't care. Of course I care. But I care more about what I'm getting out of that employee opposed to raining down and stopping an occurrence or stopping the development of a student based on one bad occurrence. And what happens when it occurs again with the same student? Luckily, what I do right after the first occurrence of any problem is we need to communicate a plan for how we're going to resolve this problem and move forward. So in the future, we will not re-encounter this problem. If we do, and we have, we need to have another sit-down to identify what it is that you need to do to fix this. It's like a reverse breakup. It's not me, it's you. Well, you know, I've always said, uh, I've over the course of my career, I've managed a, a number of folks. And, sure. And I've always said, um, I've never fired anyone. People fire themselves. I couldn't agree more. Because they choose n- to not do the job. Sure. You know, I said to someone uh, recently, I said, you know, it's your choice. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. But I have to find somebody who does want to do it. And the person scratched his head and said, well, I still have a job. I'm like, uh, no, if you don't want to do it. No. Right. Yeah. So. I couldn't agree more. Have you ever had to fire a student? Yes. Yes, I have. And the reason I take a breath is because I'm not in the business of firing students, and I haven't fired a student. I, I'm too from the same school of thought. Right. Students fire students. Students fire students when students don't show up to work. Students fire students when they don't follow protocol. Students follow, fire students when they choose to follow other students down a wrong path. So. I've had to let a few folks go over the course of my time. My turnover is low because I do my best to connect initially with the student and articulate the need and in hopes that the need can be met. Have you ever rehired someone that you fired? Negative. <laughs> Negative. Negative. I have not done that for a number of reasons. Most of the folks, um, in my experience, this is kind of ironic, are later in their college career. 
so I've, our paths have not crossed again. And if so, it's only done by way of a recommendation. I do want to do everything in my power to prepare them for the next step. I feel like that's the reason I'm here today. I'm here today doing an interview with you. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that because of the work that I did when I was an undergraduate. I, I preached ad nauseum how beneficial a resume is. I don't want to be the only person that works in my building on LinkedIn. I preach to them the value of being on LinkedIn. I preach the value of networking because after what you know gets your foot in the door, who you know kind of deters your path. And you know what? We're going to pick up on that in our next segment. You're going to come back with us next week, correct? Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Joshua E. Lewis, who is the coordinator of University Center Operations here at Seton Hall University. Joshua, thank you for coming on the program. We'll see you next week. Thank you for having me. All right. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5. And for my friends and uh, Oman, Muscat Oman, where I was there not too long ago, you can hear me streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.